out on earth. Join two friends as we broaden our small town perspectives and explore the enchanting, hilarious, and unusual interconnections between society, ecology, and queerness. My name is Cricket, my pronouns are she, they. My name is Ashton, my pronouns are they, them. And today we're talking about crafting. Crafting. How have you been? It's been a long time oh, since we've been behind oh, the microphone. It's so been a long. wild October. So long. Well, I mean, we we set ourselves up for success and then failure <laughs> by <laughs> recording like by recording a lot of episodes back to back to back. Yeah. And then like not recording for Anything. over a month. <laughs> and so now yeah. we're just like, y'all, just be patient with us. Yeah, it's um, it's our show, so you it's know our what? show. This we'll is true. Re- we'll release when we can. This um, is true. Thank you so much to everyone who has been tuning in. Though we kind of have been. Uh, getting an influx of support recently this is true really fun hey y'all yeah hi welcome to everyone who's new um we love you (laughs) yeah haters on socials oh my god so So, yeah with the influx of people (laughs) influx of transphobes yeah like i don't know we had like a couple tiktoks and reels kind Mm -hmm. of going i wouldn't say viral but which i suppose is how getting the pod word out goes yeah it just was wild it's been wild yeah to just like go to bed and then wake up and have like three transphobic like notifications yeah, exactly. on my phone uh or like going about my day-to-day and then looking down and it's like trans people deserve to die and i'm I like, know, like okay like, what? <laughs> people are so they have so much like I don't know. They just say whatever the fuck they want. It's insane. She's got a lot of hate. A lot of hate. I'm like, how do you like say that and then like go to work? Like, how do you just live like that? I don't know. I don't but know. I don't get it. Our, I feel like our our strategy is just going to be to delete them because, you know, yeah. we don't want them in our algorithm. And also, like, I, I want our social media to be a place where Safe people space. can just, yeah, just exist and not see those things. Yeah. So, and like, whatever. I fought an internal <laughs> battle of wanting our podcast to be sort of like a welcoming space for everyone and mm-hmm. also making sure it's a safe space for the particular audience that we are trying to reach. Yeah, um, exactly. And like, ultimately, I do believe that our audience and their peace of mind does come first. Yeah. Over one transphobe and trying to like reach them, even though like the odds of even reaching them are pretty low in the first place. Yeah. But, Alas. I know. We can't educate everybody, but <sighs> yeah. that's the struggle. This is the truth. We both wrote like a whole like novel in response yes. to our first ones. And then I was like, I we, we just can't needed, do it. Yeah, we just needed to hide it or delete it or something. <laughs> I don't so, know. So yeah, they're gone. Um, but you know. The transphobes aren't. The comments are. So yeah, the stay, are stay mobilized. Exactly. Stay on the lookout. <laughs> oh, but you know the place where there are no haters. Patreon. Is our Patreon. And I'd love to do a little little shout out to our Patreonites. Okay. Um, Young Mustard. Okay, Dad. Hey, Steph. Wyatt Armstrong. Shell Wagner. Lena Sue. And Mary Smiley Face. Hey, patrons. We love you. Hey, y'all. And welcome to the show. Welcome. I would this love is... to welcome you every time. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah. So. Oh, also, if you are on Patreon, you're seeing our new podcast. Yeah. Um, this looks like we are in a legitimate pod studio, and you can't tell us otherwise. <laughs> We're not in a bedroom. No. We're not. No. No, we have a full pod studio. We you actually lights. just can't tell. We have cameras and we have action. I'll give you the action, Mamba. <laughs> the fuck? 
Oh. But yeah, Patreon, we've got videos, we've got early access, mm. we've got bonus episodes, mm-hmm. we've got the zine, which I need to do, we've got... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, y'all, we've been struggling. That sad is killing us. Yeah, I know. Seasonal yeah. affective disorder can rot. Yeah. Um, That's We're in a place of seasonal affective disorder. In a place and, of sad. <laughs> and, and we are... I can't believe the acronym for that is SAD. Isn't that I, so fucked up? I actually didn't know that until you were like... The sad is killing me. And I was like, what is seasonal what does affective that mean? disorder? Okay, yeah. yeah. Is it like not cool to say seasonal depression? I don't know. I oh, just okay. like to say sad because of the irony that's like embedded within I'm it. I'm in sad. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, yeah. We are in sad. We yeah. are experiencing sad. Uh, yeah. Um, to an nth degree. Yeah, because it's been cold it's, it's been dark. cold it's more so i think the darkness the early darkness really? that gets me mm. yeah i don't like early darkness yeah. i want it to be lighter later because my body tends to follow cycles of light yeah and so as soon as it starts gets to get dark my body's like okay time to sit down That's time cute, to not though. do anything you only live with the sun i if i had it my way i'd wake up with the sun and go to bed with the sun yeah that's how it should be I think it'd be so nice. Yeah. Because I love waking up to natural light. It yeah. never bothers me. No, starting off work and it's still dark is like disgusting. Ew. No. Yeah. No, no I, I just hated growled. That. Did you hear that? I heard something. I just didn't realize it was you growling. Um, anyway. Well, anyways, yeah, it's cold. And so one thing that you do when it's cold is you craft and cry. I thought you were going to say cry, <laughs> but crafting is cry. a great segue into <laughs> into our newest pod series. See, you pod yeah. you pod segued so well. Thank and you. I, I really was cramping your um, <laughs> your vibe, if you will. <laughs> I sounded like a millennial when I said that. I'm cramping your vibe. I'm cramping right my now. vibe right now, Grit. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this episode marks the beginning of a new of a new um, out on Earth season. It does. Um, well, season would it be more like? Installation. Installation. Series. 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 Yeah. Our episodic series, I think, is, yeah, where we're going. Um, Digital ecology. Yes. Cricket, do you want to give them a little taste (gasps) of what digital ecology is? Yes, I can. Um, So we're exploring digital ecology and the many ways that the internet, AI, and other technology interact with our environment, community, and future. And I'm out of breath. Why didn't I get out of breath? I feel like that? we've been gabbing a lot in the last <laughs> ten minutes. So it's probably because of the wine. So we have three episodes that we're doing. Um the first one is crafting. I'm mm. not gonna yo, give yo, like a yo, huge yo, 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 yo. like intro to that right now, but that's because it's gonna be this whole episode. But episode <laughs> two, we're doing online shopping, um, which comes right around like Black Friday. And we're looking at how shopping has like as a practice has evolved over time and how it contrasts with crafting as a form of gift giving mm. and interacting with the environment and we are like interviewing some people which is something we've never done before it's so, gonna be exciting yeah it is exciting i'm very excited and then episode three it's still kind of like up in the air but we're mm. doing like digital eco futurism mm-hmm. like a solar punk it's gonna be camp it's gonna be um out of the norm yeah well a lot of nuance like i'm looking for ways that the digital world can interact with our activism and like Hmm. actually work in regeneration because i feel like the first two episodes we're doing are a lot of like this is how the digital space kind of 
works against cramps are vibe yeah if you will oh my god <laughs> okay i'm done i swear to god that's so bad oh my god i know i know i know i know i'm committing so many sins yeah so uh crafting i'll give my thesis i'm basically just gonna go over like the history of crafting um how it how and how it interacts with the environment and like ways we can use it for our activism what about you yeah so the way i summarized sort of my research for this episode is i just organized it under two guiding questions um, so my first mm -hmm. guiding question was how do forms of handmaking such as painting, sculpting, and fiber arts have inherent connections to gender, sexuality, and queer identities? And then secondly, how has queer handmaking helped to make visible the fight for queer liberation and queer histories? Ooh. So, yeah. I literally can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah. I read this article, the same article, three times over because oh it was so good. Damn. Um, yeah, no, a it's Bible. really good. No, yeah. truly a Bible. And then watched like a whole YouTube um, like uh, lecture seminar oh. from somebody who like is like a queer craft professor, I guess. I don't know. A queer craftologist, if Whoa. you will. Oh my God. It was so cool. Yeah, I can't wait. I know. I'm so excited. Ugh. So yeah. Um, well, I guess. Are you, are, you ready to, are you ready to jump in? Yeah. Without further ado. I, hey. <laughs> Ashton just shit, so now we're back. Okay, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> I did shit. What about it? I'm okay. not a girl who poops. I'm a bitch that shits. <laughs> what about it? We talk about poop way too much on the podcast. Do we? <laughs> I don't think we talk about it enough. That's true. Maybe we we need to reclaim. We, we should make an episode raise on poop, awareness. poop ecology. Okay, yeah. And how it's queer. Poop ecology. Shh. Don't question it. That was my favorite book growing up. Poop ecology? No, everybody poops. Which is basically a poop ecology book, actually, if we think about it. We're going to do a poop ecology episode where we use everybody poops as a source. We'll start with everybody poops. <laughs> Bitch, if you don't get into your source. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, um, so I wanted to start with like what our relationship to crafting is so yeah. i would love to ask you what crafts you do and like why you do them and when you started doing them just talk about it yeah so i've been crocheting for july so i'm crocheting for about a year and a half um knitting for about eight months um and just picked up darning uh, which is like a method of mending clothes that basically creates a new layer of fabric over the existing hole. Yeah. And patches it entirely. That's um, sick. Yeah. And that's kind of what I what I dabble in. Embroidery is fun every once in a while, but mm -hmm. it's not like really my cup of tea. Um, I eventually I'd like to try rug tufting. I love pottery. Um, it's just expensive. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, genuinely, I do all, I do quite a few crafts. Um, yeah. What about you? What all do you do? You do so much. I know. Um, I had like, <laughs> <laughs> like many of my ADHD brethren. I have a doom closet of many crafts, many crafting supplies. All of it. Um, I've got. Let me let me see. I have a list here. If if it's an aisle in Michaels. I've done it. So I've got painting, sketching, origami, crochet, cross stitch, knitting, tatting, duct tape, tatting. slime, what? 
tatting. That's lace making. That's what I was oh, doing. Oh, bitch, I thought you meant tattooing. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, so in quilting, nail art, junk journaling, calligraphy, friendship bracelets. Um, that little, like, the, I don't, the gimp, like, what is it? Excuse me? <laughs> like the, uh. <laughs> the gimp? <laughs> the, uh. How, what did they they were like the little key like keychains that we made in like middle school was like the plastic lace oh was it like that elastic plastic that you like turn into a box chain essentially that too i did that also <laughs> but no i'm talking about like these i don't know they're like keychains i don't know i don't Bitch. know uh-uh. if i yeah <laughs> it's a problem and i have a lot of just like stuff and uh-huh. but yeah. these are what you would consider like hobby crafts Mm -hmm. and today i'm going to kind of explain how crafting has gone from being considered like a highly valued skill set of like trades and and that kind of experience to a pastime like it's been reduced to a pastime i'm also going to talk about kind of like crafting and the experience of crafting and so my mother is an artist she is an art educator an art teacher for children um and i kind of grew up you know i grew up with an art mother and so i was constantly doing crafts like that was my activity Mm -hmm. uh, that she would give us to do and so i also grew up on like a really busy street i i I went home today and i realized that the street is called the ronald reagan highway ronald reagan memorial highway and i live off of a highway yeah so that's not a street babes well (laughs) <laughs> it, it turns into a street kind of but yeah i don't know okay um, so you're gonna call the edmund memorial <laughs> you're gonna call that a fucking street too I guess so. <laughs> if you live on i don't know but anyways i grew up like basically right on that street so it was really busy and i didn't like play outside a lot okay, and I see, I see. so crafting was kind of like my introduction to materials to the material world. girl yeah i was a material girl and yeah so um it was my way of engaging with nature because i would bring crafts indoors because i didn't feel comfortable or safe you know playing outside and mm-hmm. so that's kind of like an intro i wanted to talk about like my mom being an art teacher and like her input so i do have some she sent me some voice memos that i thought we could play because i feel like it's such a good introduction to everything yeah so her art is so cool yeah also shout out so cool go follow seashell art on instagram not the omar so there's several things that have been surprising to me um as an arts educator for elementary school students uh first there there's the surprise that kids who are maybe second grade even, sometimes third, who don't know how to use scissors, really. They're sort of turning their arm inside out to cut something out, and instead of keeping the scissors straight and turning the paper, and (laughs) even kids as as old as fifth and sixth grade (laughs) sometimes alone um, when I show them to keep the scissors straight up and down and just turn the paper what <laughs> okay in their defense they are another it's great occasion sorry pretty often is that children think that glue doesn't work if it doesn't stick things immediately like 
the concept of waiting until it dries for the glue to be adherent. Honestly, they have a point. (laughs) If it doesn't stick immediately, they think, this glue doesn't work. Children also have not been around paint enough to know that they need to wash out their brushes. I use acrylic paint for children fourth, fifth, and sixth grade instead of tempera. And they they just want to put their brush back in the bucket after they use it. And they're surprised, mind blown, when the bristles are all stiff and stuck together. Something that continues to sadden me as an arts educator is how early children are creatively injured. I hear um, stories about previous art experiences where they were admonished for doing something sort of not exactly, you know, the directions. Maybe they want to make a different sort of animal than was assigned, you know, or want to make their whatever a different color than it is naturally like a pink horse or, you know, whatever. And children are very quickly um, afraid to express themselves. And this, this makes me sad because it takes a long time to heal those sorts of injuries, in my opinion. Okay. So I'd love to hear your reaction. I'm gagged. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Maybe this is like fucked up, but like imagine not being able to know how to use scissors. I know. I think I. Okay, there. I mean, children. when did you th- when did you learn to use scissors? I was using scissors super young, but that's I because using... I had this woman as a mother. Yeah, no, I was using scissors super young because my grandma. I lived with my grandma from birth till like six or seven, and yeah. woman loves to craft, and so like. I was using scissors all the time. I yeah. was using glue all the time. Like, I don't know. That's just crazy to think about. Yeah. Like, fifth, sixth graders not, like those not are knowing like how to use scissors. 10 or 12-year-olds. Yeah. I don't know. Is that right? Isn't that right? Yeah. 10 or 12? I 10? think so. I was 10 I in fifth grade. Know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I blocked that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of that. Yeah. But, damn. That is pretty sad. Yeah. Do you, I, I was trying to think of, like, other reasons why... Um, kids just don't know how to use this stuff they spend a lot of times on their phone yeah yeah period we're about to get into it so (laughs) (laughs) hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, uh, yeah, a lot of my research for this episode is motivated by this concern. I was curious about, like, why crafting... Uh, or I was curious about what crafting does for us on like a biological level and if we're keeping it from these kids like what happens to them and what happens to us when we aren't like allowed to do that so I'll get into the history of crafting because I feel like it kind of leads into it so my main um my main source was craft 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 Crayoft. Cray- I don't know how. Okay. <laughs> it's basically C R A E F T um, by the author Alexander Langlands. Just sounds like an old English spelling of craft. And it is. <laughs> okay. And it is. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, he. Alexander is a really interesting fella. Um, he <laughs> is an archaeologist, which I'll remind you is like the history of items, the history mm-hmm. of crafted items Mm -hmm. being able to like trace human history through these items Mm -hmm. and alexander spent um a good portion of his life on television reenacting um not reenacting i just reliving the crafting experiences of different ages during time so he was um basically taking on like the full responsibilities of farm work in the middle ages for Mm -hmm. a period of time and then they would document it and it was like a series on the bbc he did several different ones Hmm. and so he has a really like interesting connection with craft Mm -hmm. as like something that he had to do every day in order to survive he had to make everything that he used Mm -hmm. from the food to the tools that he used for the food to the house that he cooked it in to like he was farming and cooking and making all day and on his traditional wife shit. Yeah, literally, he's <laughs> okay, a frat wife. wife. <laughs> okay, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Um, but because of that, he gained like a ton of insight into like the spiritual experience of crafting. And um, he poured all of that into this book, Craft. I'm going to say Craft. <laughs> Craft. Um, yeah, because he makes a distinction between like craft and craft um because (laughs) uh he says that we don't have a word for what craft used to mean in the middle ages craft is (laughs) i wish i could say it like we can get craft because he's british he says it like craft 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 like laura craft sure i don't know fancy craft um and he basically says that like craft in the middle ages is an entire worldview and entirely different from like the way that we've reduced crafting to today Mm -hmm. so he defines it as the power the force the knowledge and wisdom behind making craft oh so it doesn't even refer to the actual necessarily 
like physical act of creating it well i guess that could be considered the power that goes into creating something i really like how that looks at things as almost like spiritual as opposed to just productive right if that makes any sense exactly yeah that's really it's cool. the wisdom it's the yeah. knowledge that you're building up and Which passing is on so for generations real because yes. like taking up any form of craft like in knitting for example like <laughs> I'm so sorry. That is not an easy thing to pick up. Yeah. Like it's not. You really have to practice and learn and almost to like, almost to some degree study. Right. Um, To like learn how to do these things. And yeah. And it does take a sort of like spiritual determinism to like push yourself through that process. Yeah. And I think that there is really something that we said about that and having that ability. Exactly. Yeah. And he calls it a, a tacit knowledge. Mm. Something that tacit? you really have to like work at or learn from somebody else does he does he spell tacit i tacit t-a-c-i-d i have have it here on the whiteboard (laughs) oh tacit knowledge yeah so which is understood or implied without being stated yes difficult to express or extract um so like motor skills personal wisdom experience insight intuition okay yeah so that's what he considers craft um which Ooh. i love the idea of something that you can't extract like wow. how cunty craft is something tangential to intuition yes for that's sure. beautiful yeah yeah that's really beautiful. <laughs> okay i live um and he has this process that he lays out uh when he is talking about crafting and it's a process but it's also a cycle mm-hmm. so it goes from attended landscape to the sustainable production of raw materials, to something that is intelligently processed, beautifully made, fit for purpose, fondly used, ingeniously reused, considerately discarded, and then given back to the earth. Wow. And so you have this cycle of, this is something that he experienced when he was doing this all the time, where every single thing that he made would go back into tending the land around his farm to create the materials he needed to keep making. And so I love that. That's pretty dope. Yeah. That's pretty dope. Yeah. And so I love that idea of like the tended landscape. Um, And I feel that just sometimes when I'm like gardening and cooking and then the stuff that I cooked goes back into the garden for the compost and then I use the compost for the garden to make more food. Like Mm -hmm. that's just something I have access to. In, in this cycle and I don't know it just brings me so much joy so it's cool to see that this guy also found that <laughs> composting as a craft for sure hmm. well and that's the thing it, when he's talking about craft he's talking about these in the middle ages definition of like a skill set that you used for survival and not just survival but just like something that you do that's specialized that you've worked a really hard time to learn and um, composting is certainly one of those things. The agrarian mm-hmm. activities of making food is certainly yeah. those things. And composting is not as simple as it may seem no. on the surface at all. Like no. getting the ratio of dry to wet and all that. It's just like, it is an art. It I is mean, an art. I make it easy because I just pour shit in there and, <laughs> and water it sometimes. <laughs> I'm not too concerned. See, I take it too scientifically. And I'm like, no, it needs to have this ratio of dry to wet ingredients. And the wet ingredients have to be composed of this. And the dry ingredients have to be composed of this and yeah which is not necessary to compost just so no, you're aware i just break just shit so down listener no you do not have to do all of that to compost 
Yeah. Um, okay, so he says, when we make things, we accumulate a certain kind of knowledge. We have an awareness and an understanding of how materials work and how the human form has evolved to create from them. With the severance from this ability, we're in danger of losing touch with a knowledge base that allows us to convert raw materials into useful objects. A hand, eye, head, heart, body coordination that furnishes us with a meaningful understanding of the materiality of our world. Oh, isn't that such a good quote? I think about this so often because like, (laughs) (laughs) and you can laugh at me for this, but I always think about like, who would be the most popular quote unquote person if the world were to end? Because we would then become reliant on these people that have that mm. head to heart to hand knowledge yes. of producing things from raw materials. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I think it's very interesting to think about because I, I often am like, what am I going to do when the world ends? What happens after late <laughs> stage capitalism? You know what I mean? And like we don't have um, access to these like vinegar for example we don't just have access to vinegar at our hands like we have to like actually make vinegar and i'm like i don't want to do that yeah like could you imagine uh i don't even know how to distill something i feel like (laughs) i would love for that to happen low key (laughs) the end of the world (laughs) if it means that we all are just crafting all the time that sounds great (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a very rose tinted lens idea of what post-apocalyptic sure earth would look like i'll get into it i have i have i'll wrap it up with that point for sure okay 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 okay. (laughs) so um he says crafting is a form of like invention of creating new technology and so i'm interested in like where this converges and where we started reducing crafting to something so simple to a pastime to something you buy at michael's so Oh, I forgot to mention the first craft ever. He he quotes Hafting. Have you ever heard of Hafting? No. I, I think you'll love this because it's literally just binding rocks to sticks. Girl. Like making what? spears, making um making axes. Axes. Like yeah. Javelins. Hafting. Yes. And he, he it was really interesting because he was talking about how like we thought that humans did like started crafting way later in like the neolithic stone age kind of situation Mm -hmm. but that's because everything that everything else that we had that they made decomposed like sticks organic (laughs) yes yeah we were so who knows how long we've been like making tools making items crafting it it was way before the stone age yeah yeah that's really cool yeah Hmm. yeah um, okay, so hafting. We have ancient history. We have skills used to engage with one's environment for survival, for hunting, for mm-hmm. whatever. Um, in the Middle Ages, you have the the craft, the feudal specialization, Cram. the craft, the <laughs> the feudal specialization, like having people really define a skill set so that they could trade it for other skill sets. Okay. Um, where things really go to shit is the industrial revolution as we know as we've been known as Listen, we've known on this podcast the amount of papers i've written about the industrial revolution <laughs> is just honestly disgusting at this point i'm over it yeah i get it it's i'm like gross. the industrial revolution fucking sucks it really ruined, it everything. ruined everything for us. <laughs> so um this is the turning point whenever machines started to make most goods and so manufactured goods relied on crafters as the designers and that was like 
the transitional role of crafters in society they went from making the product and like being the damn <laughs> they, sorry y'all just hit me out of nowhere i felt it coming and i was like what the fuck you should, it, I, it was just weird because you held him back because <laughs> i didn't want you to think that i was bored with what you were saying <laughs> i'm just a sleepy girl oh my god okay I'm just a sleepy girl. <laughs> so um so yeah crafters were designers (laughs) crafters were designers they were the people who made the machines who made the items and um alexander says it's the point when industrial processes emerged as the dominant means of production was the point at which the concept of craft emerged as an art form and as a self-conscious counterpoint to factory-made goods so before that it was like people were just crafting people just making stuff but it didn't really it, it wasn't like a category of things. It was just things people did. Mm-hmm. But then once you have like machines making things instead of people, things made by people became crafts mm-hmm. or became art. It's like it's like now how, how we have to distinguish like AI art versus human art. Yeah. Like we have this whole new technology that's displacing a product in our marketplace and we don't know how to define it anymore. So, Damn. yeah, same distinction kind of there. Nice. I don't know. You no, know? I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. And so there's some really good history in this book about crafters guilds and kind of like the revolution mm-hmm. against manufactured goods, which I think is really, really interesting and worth the read if you're interested in that. Uh, because, I don't know, just kind of like the ways that these crafters um, romanticize crafting in a way that's, it, I don't know, it's just their writing is really pretty and beautiful and like Mm -hmm. worth your time if you're a crafter um so then we get into like specialized global trade Mm -hmm. whereas machines are really taking over and like designers aren't really even valued that they're just engineers you Mm -hmm. know and the items that are being made aren't really valued as highly Mm -hmm. and so we have crafts as the high-end alternatives to the affordable things that are made by machines so and how true does that ring still yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so where it used to be something that we just needed it became something that is like an art like something you bid on like something that you show off because oh this one's handmade right this one's made in china but this one's handmade um yeah (laughs) And that definitely is still true. Uh, but then, you know, that's even doubled even more. It's snowballed even more into like what crafts are under global extractive capitalism, where even those handmade items are devalued. Mm-hmm. And crafting is seen as something that we only do as a pastime. It's reduced to something that we do in our free time when we're not working. It's a hobby, a hobby craft, like not something that we, I mean, it has any value. Think of even like, and like most knitters crocheters felters anything like weavers will understand what i'm talking about but there's this website called hobie but it's spelled h-o-b-b-i so it's spelled like hobby okay and it's essentially just like a craft website that sells a bunch of shit to a bunch of crocheters so i don't know i think it's interesting how it's become like very very capitalistic yeah and a matter of but it, it it's so weird it occupies such a strange place because it's not even capitalistic it's like it's it's so devalued to the point where like even s- like selling the things that you make is 
people would rather just buy a mass manufactured good, you know, and I don't and I, I feel like it's it only occupies a space in like the gift economy, which I think is so fair. not fair. I think <laughs> yes and to add to that, as somebody who does knit so much, I think oftentimes a lot of people will come up to me and say, like, Oh, will you knit something for me? Yeah. And I'm like, Yeah, sure, here's cost breakdown. And then they choke a little bit on the cost breakdown. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like. And that's that interplay yeah. of people valuing it because they're like, oh, that's handmade. That's exactly. cool. Like, I want that. And exactly. then also devaluing it because they don't think that it's worth your time exactly. to be doing that. Or worth their money to yeah. compensate you for your time and so skill. Like, oh, this is just a hobby. Exactly. Like, I'm not going to. No, exactly. it's an art that you have exactly. mastered, that you have worked hours and hours exactly. to learn the craft. When I tell them, <laughs> when I tell them that the sweater that they want me to make them is like a three to $500 sweater, all of a yeah. sudden they're like, oh my fucking God what are you talking about i'm like girl do you have 72 hours to sit down and dedicate to just making this yeah like maybe you're lucky enough that you can knit without looking and like watch a show while you do it but otherwise you are like stuck in one spot creating a garment that you will never see again yeah so of course like it's going to be expensive you're paying for again that tactic knowledge is that what it's called tacit knowledge tacit, tacit knowledge. i hope that's how you say it i mean tack it is the only other pronunciation that I could think of. Tasty. Tasty. <laughs> but yeah, as somebody who like gets asked to do commissions very often, mm -hmm. it that rings very true of people saying like, oh, I really want this handmade item because I value the fact that it's handmade, but because it's been so commodified because it's in a stark opposition to capitalist production, it then just feeds back into capitalist production because yes. it's like oh now this handmade good is just so specialized and so expensive that i just have to feed back into a capitalist system yeah which is fucked and that's even true for designers too i feel like like down. people yeah down down i mean people like, who sell their designs for other crafters that like, or even like crafters who design stuff that gets stolen by sheen yeah you know what i mean which yeah. is a huge issue or like asos oh we um, should definitely Zara. talk about sheen stop in the next episode i will take the online shopping yes! <laughs> okay cool okay, I can't wait. <laughs> emma in the moment made in the moment at youtube.com i'm coming for you um, <laughs> i need your opinions you okay. know who you are yeah <laughs> damn well thank you so much for that insight that's really great thank you crafters rise all day i've been singing this in my head i've been like Sticking out my hook for Get the back? knitters. <laughs> Ew, wait, really? I want to get into, like, if this is where we are, we have uh, late-stage capitalism crocheting, um, where it can go from here and, like, how we can kind of use it as a way to yeah. reconnect. So um, I think that in a just transition, which I'll get into that a little bit more, I love a just transition, um, I think it can become, like, crafting is returning to that craft to that middle age <laughs> the middle age necessity um because in a just transition we have th the situation where like oil is very difficult to access the global tr market is not something that is sustainable anymore and so we're going to have to experience kind of a degrowth um and and we we aren't going to be able to like one day ship stuff from Amazon anymore because we're simply going to run out of the resources to mm. do that. Mm -hmm. And so crafting is just going to 
become something that we have to know how to do mm-hmm. to live mm-hmm. to survive mm-hmm. um and so might as well get ahead on that like might as well learn a little craft right <laughs> yeah so i want to talk about reclaiming craft um so studies in craft reveal a longing for connection and a touch starved population looking for the sensory necessity of interacting with the material world i watched this ted talk from this girlie named becky curry and she talks about screen time versus green time and i'm gonna cosplay as like a boomer real quick so i'm sorry about that but she talks about um nature deficit disorder which is don't let the tiktok girlies find this one (laughs) no they're gonna hate me um but yeah it it, i it's basically just you need to touch grass okay (laughs) if i could like gen zify nature deficit disorder i would just say touch fucking grass okay and which all of y'all need to do. Which is such a hateful and like a loaded thing to say to somebody, by the way. <laughs> but it's such a good read. I love saying that to people because I be touching grass all the time and people need to fucking touch grass. Okay, that and like, what are they going to say back to that? Like, you need to touch grass, bitch. Yeah. Like, like what, are they, what do you mean? I walk on grass all the time. I, I love grass, bitch. <laughs> like, what? What are you going to say back to touch grass? It's the best insult yeah. ever. It's like, like so if I have good. nothing to say, you're going to see me saying touch grass. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we need to start responding to the transphobes and just say touch grass. <laughs> okay, yeah. That can be, you can do that. Okay. <laughs> Period. And then if I apply for like a social media director position, <laughs> like, this be... is how I respond. <laughs> That's your portfolio. It's just like printed out pictures of your responses to my exes that say touch grass. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. (laughs) Okay, so nature deficit disorder. Um, it was coined by this guy named Richard Louvre in the book Last Child in the Woods. Um I almost read this, but then I realized that like he kind of turns it into a commentary about like uh kids need to go outside more because they need to they need to go outside more because they're getting fat um <laughs> which is like not i don't Why want to read about that you have to go You're back so to a stupid. place of fat phobia right I'm like so can tired. we stop i'm so tired well it was written like in 2005 oh but okay, never mind yeah that makes a lot of sense. yeah okay um <laughs> but okay, he talks so about like happened. the disc uh, the disconnection of our youth. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you just say that okay, just happened? Okay, so um, that happened. <laughs> oh my god! Leave, okay, leave so right um, now. that happened. Get out of the studio. Well, I was first giggling silently because I was oh just so ashamed of what I had said, <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? My fearless leader, Brittany Broski, would want me to stand firm. There we my, go. In my um, sure, my my beliefs. Thank you for saying that. That really really contributed to this episode. (laughs) And thank you for saying that. Because it needed to be said. It did. (laughs) I'm going to stop derailing this. I have to move on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, um, nature deficit disorder. Uh, Basically, just like the way that our youth is disconnected from the natural world at an increasing rate, which is definitely what my mother was talking about, I believe. Um, Not only just like disconnected from the natural world, but disconnected from the material world. Like we are not touching things. We are no longer material girls. We are only touching touch screens, which is very ironic. 
that the touch screens is like and whatever i'm a boomer um so here's a boomer statistic the american association of pediatric medicine estimates that the average child spends 10 minutes outside each day that rings true that's insane that rings true even for me oh yeah I mean, I think just most people probably yeah. spend less than 10 minutes outside each. I mean, not me, yeah. but. I mean, I live in an apartment complex, so I don't really go out and like, quote unquote, enjoy nature because there's really no nature around me to yeah. enjoy. I sit on my back patio. Oh, that's a lie. I spend a lot of time outside. I sit on my back patio a lot. Yeah. Like all the time. I can sit out there for probably an, at least an hour a day. Just yeah. vibes. Just vibes. I mean, that's, that's great. But that's because you understand and you feel the need to be outside you're like oh, i want to go outside i want to sit out here and kids vibe. don't really feel that anymore listen and in child development there's like no replacement for craft like it is an essential part of like becoming conscious and like learning your world and mm-hmm. like i feel like without it we're so physically and emotionally disconnected from earth systems mm-hmm. um in a way that seriously affects our mental health mm-hmm. and um I think there's also a lot of discourse out there that like not that screen time or like not being in nature causes like attention deficit, which I think is totally true, but also not to be confused with like ADHD. Mm. Um, I I try to avoid those conversations because I'm like yeah. it, it feels a little invalidating. Like yes. my ADHD is not just because I'm I not had TikTok grass. for four years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But also, I totally get it because, you know, we have, like, sensory videos and we have, like, doom scrolling and we have people, like, I just think of those, like, videos where people are reading Reddit posts with the Minecraft playing in the background. And, Wyatt like, watches that. <laughs> okay. Right. Why it needs to touch grass. Uh, no, tell me why. I just love the sensory videos that are, like three turnips dancing to like what i love those as well i'm just like i put those on on a party they turn the fuck up okay i just love watching little animated vegetables dance yeah and that's that's so true and that's fine and that's great (laughs) thank you for validating my truth (laughs) and and enjoying these things you know is also a part of like just being neurodivergent i feel like I don't want to like shit on sensory videos, but there's also something to be said about like how many people are like fidgeting and just, I don't know. I feel like you just got to get outside. I don't know. I'm a fucking boomer. Okay. <laughs> this isn't like, I lock the back patio commentary. doors for three hours a day and they can, they can't even come inside. Piss. They gotta wipe their- <laughs> oh my God. I almost said some obscene shit on this mic. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad I have self-control. I almost went crazy with that. <laughs> I'm going to make them wipe their ass with leaves and shit. That's what boomers... Mm. Yeah. Okay. Boomer era over. Um, Finished. Scene. But yeah, I think craft... I'm going to finish up here. I have been going for a while. Um, we can edit out a lot I of this I keep interrupting. Out. It's okay. Because <laughs> I just keep saying We're having shit. fun. It's fun. We haven't recorded in over a month. Yeah. So... <laughs> um, so craft as survival again. Um, as we look to the future, craft provides a deep growth gateway to resourceful interdependence in a just transition where rapid delivery of processed goods no longer available or where AI may be capable of filling in the gaps of our basic labor needs, um, which I love. Yeah. Looking forward to that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just gonna have to, I, we're gonna have to give up a lot of stuff 
and in a just transition everybody has equal access to everything and in order to do that we have to change so many of our systems and we have to reclaim so many of our systems Mm -hmm. and in order that means that those of us who have the privilege to access most things are going to have to give those up and Mm -hmm. find some sort of autonomy in in that new world where we don't have oil for everything a complete reconfiguration of the way we operate the world now yeah i'd love to do a just transition episode where we kind of like visualize it um and walk through it that'd be dope yeah i i have read a book that basically does that so it would be i would also love to explore what a just transition looks like for queer people and queer liberation yeah that'd be interesting okay Okay. (laughs) (laughs) we're so annoyed okay I have one last quote from Alexander Langlands. He says, Craft is a form of intelligence, an ingenuity that can shift in accordance with a changing world. What has seemed intelligent for the best part of 150 years, factory production, mass manufacture, conspicuous consumption, and waste, now no longer feels all that intelligent in a world of diminishing resources and increasing environmental instability. So a new craftiness is required, a rethinking of what it means to be powerful, resourceful, and knowledgeable through the medium of making, the medium that defines us as human beings. So now I'm going to send it over to you where we can learn about what about crafting makes us feel human as queer people. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi. Sorry for the jump scare. Are you enjoying the episode? Well, it's brought to you by our Patreon. We are a fully independent self-funding podcast and we wouldn't be able to make any of it without our awesome swamp creatures over on Patreon. We currently have two tiers that you can join. For just $1 a month, you can get bonus and video episodes. And for $5, you can get both of those things as well as early releases and access to our zines and community discord. It's a really fun place to be. You can join using the link in the description or going to patreon.com slash outonearthpod. We understand that not everyone can donate, but if you wouldn't mind rating our show wherever you're listening and giving us a follow, that helps us out so much. Literally so much. Okay, that's it. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. So I think I'm going to start off with a pretty... A pretty good quote. Not me pausing to come up with the word good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think just a pretty adept quote about what crafting means to the queer identity. Okay. Um, and it, adept. 
adept yes and and i do think that it does describe in one or two sentences a lot of what i'll be discussing okay um so i think it's like a great main idea if you know you just catch the front half of this and like don't for some reason listen to the other half of this like this is going to be a great little introduction to what i'm talking about in the first place but you should listen to all of it i mean please yeah but just in case life happens and i get it i get it i do just um, pause and come back just okay. pause, and, pause and come back yeah we're, we'll be here we're not going anywhere no. you have us in a digital format that is like never going anywhere until the downfall of capitalism so yeah. i don't know yeah anyways <laughs> let's hear so, this quote th- this quote goes <clears throat> crafting is similar to queer identities in the way that each is not just a way of doing things but a way of being within the world and its systems um, and that's from a theory of craft 2007. Um, and so I think that alludes to sort of how queer identities and spaces are crafted, similar Ooh. to how a knit garment would be crafted or Ooh. how a sculpture would be crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, queer people often undergo a process of identity creation um, conceptually similar to, like I said, something like knitting. Um, sort of learning those pieces of knowledge and those techniques of doing things, of interacting with the people in your community, um, sort of teach you how to be within that system, um, specifically queerness. So this quote's so good. I'm so excited to read it. Stop. So it says, both queer lives and sexual practices often rely on processes of crafting, processes of crafting, of crafting of community and crafting of self. There is no guidebook or inherited cultural roadmap. These are the things we have to create ourselves. Mm. And so I think that that is a really pertinent statement, especially when you think about what it means to navigate the world as a straight person versus as a queer person. Um, And like, I'm going to say this and I don't want it to sound like this is what I believe because it's frankly not. Um, But as a straight person, you sort of have this idea of what your life is supposed to look like, you know? Mm -hmm. You like go to school, you meet someone, you settle down, you get married, you have kids, you know? Your kids have kids and then you're a grandparent. and Like the linear timeline of straightness. Exactly, this like cultural roadmap of what it means to be straight, you know? Yeah. We don't have that as queer people. Like, I don't, I'm never gonna be able to have kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what does my life look like Like the from best here? you can do is try to mimic the Ex- straight. Exactly. Li- yeah. And at what point are you undermining your queerness in mimicking straightness? Yeah. Um, not to say that if you are married or have kids, you're not as queer. No, we love weddings. We love, oh, bitch, I love a wedding. We love a wedding. I love <laughs> a wedding. I love a wedding. And I love a queer couple. I love a queer married couple too. So that's kind of sort of an introduction to what I'll be talking about today. Um, and I kind of want to move into sort of the modern feminist contributions to crafting and what crafting means today. In her book, The Subversive Stitch, Rosica, Rosica Parker, one of the two, argues that there was an early gender differentiation between art and craft. Craftsmanship by men could be considered art, whereas things like knitting and crochet typically done by women were considered crafting yes so crafting was considered lowbrow because it was quote feminine and unproductive as these crafts existed outside of that typical typical means of capitalist production that we're so used to so like obviously sheen wasn't around sheen however you pronounce it wasn't around in the 70s yeah Um, but there were still you know fashion designers and clothing brands that were still mass producing these things um and so it was considered low brow because one, it takes so long. 
Um, like, what are you doing? Oh, well, you can just go out and buy this. Why would you yeah. sit and do this yourself? Go like, get a that's job. Stupid. Yeah. Go be productive. Yeah. Go do something. Raise with your children. Your life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's also considered feminine because it's these things are typically done within the home, and so mm. it's always thought that because you're a woman, you're in the home, and so yeah. this is like a womanly thing, a womanly task. Right. And so from a very, very early point, like crafts, I mean, from the get, crafts were probably pretty gendered. Um, I mean, for example, one of the things they mentioned in this source was that until the 1970s in Britain, um, men were taught things like woodworking and women were taught things like embroidery. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, come the fuck on. Right. Like, come the fuck on. Yeah. So as a result. What was that class that you take in like high school? Oh, home ec. Home ec. I love home ec. I know. So fun. I, I I never took it. We made pancakes. Oh, cool. It was so fun. <laughs> it was so dirty in there, though. But don't you learn how to, like, sew and stuff, no, too? No, not at mine. Oh. Mine was just, like, a throwaway credit hour. Yeah. Like, well, you that, didn't learn anything. That means, like, home economics, right? I mean, that's yeah. Like... It's home production, essentially. Right. But... And so I wonder how many things... I, I feel like they learned how to sew in my high school. I mean, um, I'm sure we were supposed to. We just didn't. We just didn't have the funding. Oh, I don't, Y'all that, got That, I don't know. Our school district had a lot of money. Oh. Um, like, when I graduated be me? my senior year, <laughs> when I graduated my senior year, we had just gotten, like, a million-dollar grant. Jesus. To, like, redesign our entire campus. Okay. Yeah, I know. It was crazy. So, like, our school has a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but that just has a lot to do with sort of the cattle industries and the realty uh, industries that mm. kind of surrounded my small town. Cattle. Cattle. Yeah, we had more cattle than people. So, you know. Yeah. Big whoop. If we get 100 more cows, we might get a new stadium. I'm going to... Stop. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Ah. Digression, digression. Continue. Stop. That triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a result of crafting being considered like lowbrow and feminine, a lot of feminist artists of the 1970s and 80s aimed to critique the stereotype of crafting as women's work. Mm. Um, they used their art as a weapon of resistance to unravel gender binaries and stereotypes of art versus craft. Um, did you catch my little? My little unraveling Ooh, gender binaries. Yeah. <laughs> Another potential title. Unraveling the. Well, I don't know. I know. I mean, yes, you and got no. so many puns. You, I, I am gonna miss them. I fighting fire with fiber is actually what I entitled. Ah! <laughs> is what I entitled the feminist contributions to crafting. That's so good. Um, fire being patriarchy. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, um, I thought that it was important to say that when we're talking about early feminist movements, we are not talking about gender nonconformity. We are mm-hmm. talking about a gendered binary. We are yeah. talking about man and woman. At the this point in early feminist movements, like we were not at that point yet. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so I do think it is important to acknowledge the fact that that is strictly acknowledging man and woman for in what it means to be art versus craft. Yeah. Um, we hadn't necessarily gotten as far as gender nonconformity. Um, right. And, and it's actually very um, high of them to not be like the not like other girls feminism where it's like, <laughs> I I can be just like a man. I don't sew. Pick me feminism. I don't crochet. Yeah. I don't do these things. I actually love like, to chop wood. I actually yeah. love sports. I actually love drinking beer. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, it's like, oh, I love to do these things, and it's really cool, and mm. it's just as valuable as women do. And here's why, and here's how. Yeah. And I think that's so cunt. Yes. Like, so cunt. So, 
something a quote that was in the source that I read was just like really beautiful. Um, a lesbian artist, Harmony Hammond, referred to this wave as a braid with three strands, gender, sexuality, and art. Um, mm. And I think that that's really just cool because if you think about braiding, again, something that's considered like historically feminine, um, like even now when you see dads that like know how to braid hair, you're like, oh, what a sweet dad. You're like, oh my like, God, he learned how to braid. It, even though it's like passing three strands of hair over each other. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is not that crazy, but like whatever. Also men can have long hair. That's what I'm saying. It's so hot when men have long hair. That sort of movement from the 1970s into 1980s sort of also corresponds with a queer art movement mm. um, that plays specifically with textiles, um, with the arts, oh, okay. with things like that. And so my next section I have entitled Queering the Craft, um, Handmaking of Queer Identities and Communities. Um, so I actually do have to transition to my computer now. <laughs> we had a panic attack during the... <laughs> both, and... of us, both of us were trying to write it in in our notebooks and we just like started panicking. Full panic attack. <laughs> so... I don't know why. My body was just like, freak the fuck out right now. And I did. And I did. And we're here. And so now we're on the laptop. So yeah, I had two and a half pages of like beautiful <laughs> written handwritten notes with like cute little titles and arrows and doodles and stuff yeah and then halfway through i said fuck this i can't <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna have a panic attack i'm gonna hyperventilate like what so this idea of queer hand making which i want to in my segment of this episode i really want to stray away from this idea of craft because of mm -hmm. its gendered associations. Yes. When I yeah. say queer handmaking, this is a third thing mm. that exists outside of this crafting that we've discussed, you know? Yeah. Because queer handmaking is so crucial and so fundamental to queer identities and queer communities. Um, and I just, so I want to make that differentiation. Yeah. Okay. Um, I get it. And that was first, uh, queer handmaking was first introduced by Julia Bryan Wilson. Um, Hi, her Julia. Hey, Julia. In her 2017 book, Fray, Art, and Textiles. Um, so she posits that Hammond's braid, the one I referred to um, just a few minutes ago, uh, with the three strands, each re representing sexuality, gender, and art, actually represents this third space that we as queer people I, uh, occupy. Okay. Um, and so I think that's a really cool way to, again, differentiate queer handmaking as something that is its own entity as a whole. Yeah. So Brian Wilson credited Hammond with pushing fiber and textile art from a domestic, heterosexual, and patriarchal sphere to something that is divinely queer. Um, Wilson mm. also reminds the reader that textiles have been integral to queer ways of being since their inception. For centuries, queer people have fashioned and refashioned textiles into gender-affirming garments or undergarments, yes. whether these be binders, packers, or gaffs. Trans and gender non-conforming people, as well as drag artists, have been experimenting with textiles since the beginning. Yes. Um, uh, and I just think that's really dope. For like example, at work, we've got a bunch of crocheted dick and balls. And they're, they're packers. Like yeah. that's so... If you're if you're unaware of what a packer is, one, don't feel bad. I did not know what these were until this year. And two, essentially packers are something that gives the appearance of a bulge. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were not assigned male at birth, 
um, but you identify as a man, this can give you that gender euphoria of having that yeah. bulge and that that sort of presentation aspect that I think is really important, really cool. Yeah. And, and so, they're crocheted. Exactly. Going back to like your segment, like these things that are deemed like historically like lowbrow or feminine or something that are so integral to the survival of somebody else. Yeah. That, I don't know. I just think it's so privileged to be able to look at an art form like that and be like, that is so lowbrow. But then it could mean something so significant for somebody who wants and needs that gender affirmation. Um, yeah, and I also feel like crocheting is, um, as far as fabric arts go, I feel like it's more accessible, mm-hmm. at least right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And I think maybe that's also why it's seen as like low brow because when I crochet, I just can feel like I can make a shape out of mm-hmm. out of it. I can make whatever shape I want mm-hmm. and I can just do it and I can see it and just do it. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I feel like I can do with any other fabric. No, it's not. And that's something that's so tangible that I can use and, and make whatever 100%. I need and like fix things. It's and so it's cool. just so universally useful to me. Yeah. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I I wish it was like valued higher, but because it's so accessible, I think to me that makes it so much more valuable in just my my daily life. And I think something to be said about you know why crochet is considered so lowbrow is that it cannot be replicated by machines. So it mm. is so impossible for capitalist means of productions to imitate that of course it's going to be subjugated because of course we're going to put down anything that capitalism can't do itself. Yeah. You know. So I just think so that means that any crocheted item at yes. Target is handmade by yes. someone who yes. probably does not want to be contributing their art to that. So when thing. you edit, I need you to replay what you just said about 10 times on a loop <laughs> over and over and over okay. again. Once you see a single crocheted person target, that single crocheted purse is in every target across the country. Multiple times. Multiple times over. And they probably got some back stock and you need to think about the amount of time and energy and the little amount of compensation that these people are receiving. Yeah. Like if I were to sit down and crochet you a bag like that, I'd charge you fifty dollars. Yeah. How much are you paying for that bag? And what else at Target is handmade like that? Like nothing. nothing. And they're priced exactly the same. Exactly the same. So, you know, now capitalism said, oh, since we can't make it ourselves, we'll just take advantage of you to make it for us. Right. Um so And who's making those? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't even need to answer that question. We all know. What's their gender? We all know. Yeah. We all know. We all know the answer to these questions. (laughs) Exactly. So at what point does crochet occupy again this third space outside Mm -hmm. of capitalism? At what point does it share that third space? In my research, I actually found this museum called the Museum of Transology. So they hold different clothing items within their exhibits. Um, The first one that I'll mention is a binder with a description that reads this was my first binder i quickly grew out of it and bought more but when i grew out of those i couldn't afford a new one so used parts of this one to make them bigger so here is a picture of that binder that they used and then mended Mm -hmm. to make their own so there's that and then following that up another the same exhibit just a different um a different piece features a sock where the uh, which the wearer described as the first sock I ever packed with. I think it's great because it's vivid color carries my flamboyant non-binary identity to my underwear. And I just thought that was so oh precious. Oh my god. And it's just this like tiny little ankle yeah. sock that you know they just balled up. Yeah. Like 
And so... We'll post pictures of these, by the way. Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. And I think... I think this is indicative of a much larger theme in the queer community of taking things that are not meant to be something and making it into that thing and making it work for us Mm -hmm. because that's what we've had to do. Mm -hmm. We've been forced to do. We've been forced to the margins. And when you're in the margins, you don't have the resources that the people at the center have. And so you use socks to pack. Um, You have to create your own binders because our patriarchal heterosexist society says that we're not going to give you binders. You have to make your own because we're going to make these inaccessible or not affordable for you. Um, And so I think just like the process of mending and of changing and of just like adjusting things in garments is something that is so inherently queer because it's something that we've always had to do. I mean... If you crafting think, your experience stitch exactly, by stitch exactly mm-hmm. and then I think of like I think of my trans siblings that are going through a transition right now um, whether that be medical or not their bodies are changing and as their bodies change they're like well fuck nothing's fitting me right because yeah. my proportions aren't that of a man and they aren't that of a woman because mm-hmm. I am in this sort of middle space I am in this third space and so I have to you know, modify my own clothing. I have to buy clothing from trans-owned brands that, you know, cater to my body type. Yeah. And so it's, I think this process of mending has come out of necessity more than anything. Definitely. Out of just a really transphobic and queerphobic world that we live in. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful. I, I Every stitch that, that so I make beautiful. when I mend things now, I'm just like, this is something that is ancestral. This is something that is like, deeply deeply rooted within myself and within my community and within the people that I love and know I mean I even think of one of my co-workers his name is Ernie um, and he's a trans man that like almost all of his clothes he has modified to some degree whether it be like with bleach or with like embroidery or cross stitch like he goes ham on personalizing his That's clothes so cool. and he is I think one of the coolest and biggest examples that pops up when I think about the relationship between queerness and textiles and uh-huh. fabrics. Um, anyways, none of that was oh in my, my notes. God. I just went on a really long tangent. <laughs> that was beautiful, though. Thank you. I, oh, my gosh. Thank I'm you. gagged. So it becomes clear, then, how textiles are vital to queer expression, both historically and within the present. Mm-hmm. Not only do we use these as a means of gender expression and as a source of gender euphoria, we also use textiles in ways they were not necessarily meant to be, Um, or a third means of use similar to this third space that we occupy outside of gendered binaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now I'm going to phase into kind of back into this art art movement, um, this queer art movement. And while I am going kind of like backwards in time, it is also pushing my point forward. Okay. Um, So I'll start off with the first one, L.J. Roberts, uh, The Queer Houses of Brooklyn and the Three Towns of Brooklyn, Boswick, and Midwout during the 41st year of the Stonewall era. Okay. So this artwork explores the process of queer world building. Mm-hmm. Um, this artwork is so cool and it's massive. So imagine you've got a wall and coming down this wall is like a cascade of knit swatches. And all of the knit swatches have loose threads dangling from them. Okay. And in the middle of this giant cascade, it says the queer houses of Brooklyn and the three towns of Brooklyn, Boswick, and Midwout during the 41st year of Stonewall era. Okay. 
and each of these swatches represents a different house in Brooklyn, a queer house within Brooklyn. And they're spatially located to indicate which house within the knit tapestry, they're spatially located to basically show the houses as they are spatially located within Brooklyn. It gets cooler, what? it gets cooler. So as, as sort of this, and so each, each house is marked on the knit piece with an upside down triangle, um, with pink triangle, I should specify. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the upside down pink triangle, basically in Nazi Germany, if you were put into a concentration camp um, and you were queer, you were labeled with a pink triangle. Mm -hmm. um, and so sort of the queer liberation movement took that pink triangle and they flipped it upside down and said, fuck you. This is now a symbol of queer liberation mm. for us. Yes. Um, and so anyways, that's just another way that queer people use things that aren't <gasps> necessarily so cool. meant to be used to make statements. And I just, I just love that about us. And I love that about our community. And I think it's just so beautiful and so like rife for exploration. And ah, it's just so exciting. But anyways, so this this knit tapestry, essentially, it, it hits the ground and it sort of pools outwards towards the viewer, almost kind of like water would if it hit, were to hit the ground. Okay, yeah. And at the edge of this artwork are a bunch of little circular... Um, like bone colored uh, badges is what they called them okay. in the source. And so each badge depicts a various emblem that would be associated with a certain subculture within the queer community. Okay. So yeah. for example, Den of Sin, that would be like bondage and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or pansy commons, and queer people, gay men specifically, were often referred to as pansies. And so this would be just a house full of like gay men, you know what I mean? And so each of these had, it had just like this pool of emblems, um, of little badges that you could pick up and you could take home with you. Oh, cool. So it had this sort of like take home aspect, which I thought was just like super, super, super cool. Yeah. And in this way, this art was used to make the Invisible Queer Collectives of Brooklyn spatially visible, as well as to highlight the various subcultures or threads that weave together and create queer community culture and communion. Where, uh, where is this piece? Um, so this is actually... Is it in Brooklyn? This was in the Museum of Transology. Oh, okay, okay. But this is 2014, I believe, was when that piece was there. Okay. Um, so I'd have to look up where, where it is so now. That's oh, so it's cool. dope as fuck. And, like, they didn't, they didn't mention this in the actual piece, and I'm sure that this is something that they left up to, like, the interpretation of the viewer. But if you think about those loose threads that were just covering the entire work. Mm -hmm. I think there is something to be said about what loose threads mean for a project and what in that context loose threads meant for the queer community. Yeah. I think they can mean a lot of things. I think loose threads could mean the people that we've lost, specifically mm -hmm. in the HIV AIDS epidemic, like those sh people that we left behind, a reminder of those like lost. Um, and also I think that these loose threads are indicative of the amount of like the amount of space we still have to take up yeah if that makes any sense because you can still work with a loose thread you know yeah. it, it's not done for um and i think that that just is metaphoric for they're all still tied into the, exactly. the community the piece is, possibilities yeah is what i think that those threads stand for mm -hmm. like what can these loose threads evolve into 
Yeah. Um, and so I just thought that was really fucking cool. Aww, um, I love your brain. I stop. I love your brain. <laughs> so, okay. So, in summation, as a homespun textile piece, the Queer Houses of Brooklyn is particularly fitting for such a commentary, serving as a metaphor as to how queer people express, uh, or serving as a metaphor to express how queer people often craft the houses that they are born into. Mm -hmm. So if you think of chosen family, we're not given a chosen family. We have to craft our chosen family. We have to create our chosen family. Um, And I think that's just another way crafting comes into the queer experience. Yeah. Um, So this piece is also assembled, patched, and unites a variety of individual knitted pieces, which can be seen as a poetic metaphor on the politics of queer community building. Um, because I, I, I mean, daily, I'm still shocked at the amount of diversity and identity that I find within the queer community. Like, I, I am so, so far from well-versed on, like, all of <laughs> queer identity. Like, it's, and that's exciting to me. Um, and I think that also is indicative of those loose threads. Yeah. I think identity is constantly being unraveled and being understood better. And I, I just think that's so fucking cool. Um, and so in 1998, Berlant and Warner highlight how making a queer world has required the development of kinds of intimacy that bear no necessary relation to domestic space, mm-hmm. to kinship, to the couple form, to property, or to the nation. Um, and I think that that is a really concise way of saying that like we are pushed out of house and home. Mm-hmm. We are pushed outside of these standard ideas of support systems and of community and forced again to craft our own and craft an identity within that that I don't often think straight people are required to do right um and then furthermore artists like Jesse Herod use techniques of macrame to create hitched rope sculptures evocative of sex swings and strap-on harnesses, things typically <laughs> associated with the queer kink communities, which are often indiscernible for one another, from yeah. one another. Um, if you're queer um, and are sexually active, you may be familiar with like sort of BDSM practices and kink practices. And I think a lot of textile art between the 1970s and 2000s and even modern textile art really really heavily like has heavy heavy undertones not even fucking undertones at that point of bdsm culture yeah i think even today we see we're finally seeing like elements of bdsm and kink culture move into straight spaces yeah and i just think it's so cool how like well it's cool and annoying (laughs) how we as queer people are forced to craft these things and then the queer or the straight community can just snap them up and right. like, not to say that BDSM is it for everybody. That's not specifically what I'm talking about <laughs> right now, okay? Um, I'm more referring to things like we spend so long crafting our communities and our identities only for people like Sean Mendez to like queer bait. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, who knows? I'm not questioning Sean Mendez's identity. He he probably is gay for all we know. <laughs> but like, would love to do a queer baiting episode. I would love to do a queer baiting episode. Yeah. Um, also, think... can you imagine pulling up to your grinder date and you he takes you down to his macrame dungeon? <laughs> Tell me why that would be so hot. I know. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh my god, are you gonna tie me to your Saint Andrew's cross with your macrame? Like, He's ah. like, let me let me make an adjustment really quick. He makes like five knots. Let me step in here. Yeah. 
<laughs> and he's got to like knock you back up into ah! it. I mean, but I even do it. You think about shibari, the Japanese technique of it's a uh, bondage, essentially. Have you yeah, heard of shibari? Yeah. So fucking cool, bro. <laughs> like, it's so cool. And so, like, I think the textile is so, 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 so important to queer identities through and through and through and through. Yeah. And so important to queer sexualities, which are so important to queer identity, because we wouldn't be queer if we didn't have the sexuality or that sort of gender nonconformity to us. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I also think something cool to mention about Jesse Harrods, which I didn't put this in my note, but did just come to mind is um, in their pieces, they always used paracord, which is something mm -hmm. that is essentially extremely, extremely, extremely masculine. Yeah. And then you take this stereotypically masculine textile, something that's used by the military. Yeah. Um, and you turn Hunting, it into something camping. that's, yeah, exactly. You turn it into something that's phallic something that shows like the labia something that's reminiscent of the clit like and i just think that there's something so fucking cool about that there, yeah. like so fucking cool you go into sam's or fucking home depot and you're like yeah i need a thousand yards of paracord and they're like <laughs> what is this bitch about to do and you're like i'm about to make a giant statue of a dick and balls <laughs> they think you're about to go camping and i said hell yeah. no so i just think that that's so fucking cool yeah it is um, and I think I, this kind of harkens back to a point I made a minute ago, but Herod was known for queering the use of traditional macrame processes to demonstrate the do-it-yourself nature of queer, particularly lesbian sexual cultures, mm. while also offering up queer imaginations <laughs> of the body that the do not... The DIY lesbians. He's Listen. Like, shout out. And like, again, this is a quote, you know, taken straight from something that was from the 1990s early 2000s and so again this is going to be gendered in a way that i think that we've moved past as a society yeah. as a community and um i i do think that the, this sort of nature of do-it-yourself has expanded to the entire queer community i yeah. mean the amount of tiktoks that i've seen where it's like i'm gay so i think i can make this happen i think yeah. i can do this project yes. like and it's so real mm -hmm. because like our lives are a do-it-yourself project from the get. So yeah. why the fuck would I be scared to build a little bench for my apartment right. when I've literally had to craft my identity from scratch, bitch? Yeah. Anyways, yeah. let me get and off my high horse. <laughs> I mean, to me, crafting was just an activity I did because I I was alone. Yeah. You know? There yeah. wasn't, you know, a lot of people to mm -hmm. express myself to in mm -hmm. a way that I felt was authentic and so I feel like crafting is something that a lot of queer people do when they're young um, as an activity it's just mm -hmm. you know yeah. how you pass the time and so now yeah. we're all fucking artists no literally and we can do whatever yes. we want <laughs> and I think there's also something to be said this kind of popped up about queer people within the crafting community because obviously we are not the crafting community no. you know what I mean but like for example, I went to a knit night almost every Thursday night at one of my local yarn stores before they decided to close their doors. Um, and when I tell you probably 70% <laughs> of us were queer yeah, in that circle, mm. knitting. And so, and that has honestly stood for a lot of knitting nights or knitting groups that I've seen across the country or even in Canada. Totally. I have friends in Canada yeah. who are knitters and crocheters who host things in Toronto and stuff and the amount of queer people that I see there it's just like we have always found community in the margins and we will always find community within the margins mm 
Um, I don't think it will matter where you push us. We will always find each other. And I think there's something really beautiful about finding each other within a marginalized space and bringing each other out of it together. I don't know. Anyways, I do have a couple more notes, but otherwise I'm kind of done. Okay, okay. I I love (laughs) Um, it. So I let me finish this one. I kind of got distracted, but Herod was known for queering the use of traditional macrame processes to demonstrate the do-it-yourself nature of queer and particularly lesbian sexual cultures, while also offering up queer imaginations of the body that do not conform to either human or plant morphologies. <laughs> Through these strategies, both artists affirm the importance that crafting has for surviving in a world inimical, inimical to one's own survival. Inimical? What so, does that mean? like, antithetical against one's okay. own survival. Okay, yeah. So crafting as a tool of survival, simple, similar to how you had talked about earlier, but yes. in a more in a more like hands-on, like knitting type of thing. Whereas I think your crafting went a layer above that by saying that like, girl, if I'm making a hoe to take outside to do some gardening with, that's crafting yeah, and it that's is. survival. And so I think that there's a really cool way to like, there is both this like, like resource survival and there's this like community survival, community and soul survival. Yes, and we need both. And we need both. And craft mm-hmm. spans the distance between the two. Yeah. And I think that's it so does. fucking dope. So, in this way, again, queer artists strive to demonstrate this third place or otherness that queer people carry with them from a young age via the manipulation of materials and textiles in artistic and quote crafty forms. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, that's really. It's really my piece. Um, I probably could have gone longer. I know. Um, that I was literally one source. Um, oh, my God. Was it 30 pages? Yes. Would I read it again <laughs> for a fourth time? Yes. <laughs> it was very good. Wow. Um, and, I, yeah. I am... I loved that. I, I couldn't even say anything. I was just like listening. You are very quiet. I know. I'm sorry. You I just are very quiet. Like, no, wow. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I was even sort of like shocked at what I found out. Yeah. And... Oh, I think as your brains are so they're, they're so, so cool good. they just like oh they're uh, so cool yeah and so like as somebody who I don't have like a culture that I can connect myself with if that makes any sense like through my yeah. family I don't have a culture I can connect myself with and so finding that I I do have a community and a culture within textiles and within fabric arts and within my queerness and how all of those things can sort of like intermingle to create my own sort of culture that's this like third space yeah tacit knowledge it's listen and like that's also something that i think about is like i had to teach myself how to knit i had to teach myself how to crochet but like this is a sort of like internal knowing and just i guess that's the only way i know how to describe it is this knowing that i can pass on yeah to whoever now like i mean my clients are constantly asking like can you teach me to crochet can you teach me to knit and like within the next i think three months i actually get to host a class oh my God. with them where i will be able to teach them how to crochet and knit and like while it seems on this surface as just like this silly little program for like these unhoused youth like it seems silly and stupid but if i really think about it I am passing a queer means of survival on down to other queer people yeah. who need it more than anyone else. Survival in so many so many ways. Yeah. And then yeah. a lot of my clients, for example, they 
they get overstimulated really easily. Mm -hmm. When they get overstimulated, it's really hard for them to regulate their emotional responses. And if crafting does what it does for me, if knitting does what it does for me and helping me regulate my emotions and my responses and my thoughts, what is it going to do for them? Yeah. With somebody who has unlimited time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to find the bright side in the sad situation. But I think that crafting as a means of survival teaches you more than just how to knit a garment. Absolutely. I think it teaches you patience. I think it teaches you persistence. I think it forces your brain to come up with this third way of doing things because mm-hmm. sometimes a method isn't going to work for you and you're going to have to experiment to find something new. Yeah. It teaches um, you consequence. Consequence. Yes. It teaches how you how to fail like, yeah. and how to restart and that be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a lesson that like my clients need to know. And honestly, as a society, we need to know. We all got to figure that shit out. I don't <laughs> know. I'm just like so passionate about art as a whole. I've always been passionate about like Renaissance art, Italian art and um, and so really having this, my own personal, I guess, art renaissance into my adulthood is just been super cool and super queer. And yeah. I, I just am very proud to be a part of this queer community of knitters and fabric artists. It is something that is like one of my like biggest identifiers. Um, it's one of the ways that I define myself. And I'm so grateful yeah. to define myself next to the people that I get to work next to. Like, it's just so fucking cool. The people that I get to, like, see and work with and talk to are so fucking cool. And all of that's thanks to crafting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Anyways. Beautiful. How long have we been recording for almost two hours? I know. This is our longest episode. It'll be fine. It's a good episode. This feels like a good episode to be our longest episode. Yeah. Where are we going to make it a two-parter? Are we going to make it a two-parter? I'm thinking we bring in the people at the beginning of the next one. Okay. So, like, kind and of transition. Ooh, because that would be really It's a contrast to the gift-giving of shopping. Because some of my questions for them are, like, will lead into that perfectly. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. This, this series is going to be good, y'all. It is going to be good. It's going to be real good. This like, good. our spooky season was fun, but, like, this... I'm ready for this. This is meat and potatoes. This is like, this is what we're here for. Yeah. Ultimately. Like, witches are cool, fungi, super cool, but like, really bringing that like real world day to day connections between yourself and ecology and queerness and what all of that means. Like, that is what we're here to do. And that is yes. why I feel like we're finally fucking doing this. Yes. <laughs> We've been doing we it. We have been. I'm just being honest. <laughs> we are eating. I'm so proud of us. We're in episode six. Actually. Episode six, bitch. Wait. No, it's six. You're right. I think it's six. Seven. Wait, are you sure? Seven, including the bonus. Seven. Seven, including the bonus. That's I know. Somebody asked me today, and I was like, oh, my God. They were like, how long have we been potting? And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, fuck. We're doing it. Not long, but long. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, uh, thank you all for giving us this platform and for like listening to our words and our thoughts and our emotions it's we're sitting in a room just the two of us right now so it's like crazy to think that our words go any further than this but they do and so almost got a hundred followers on spotify that's crazy 
That's crazy. And then our following on TikTok almost doubled within a day. I know. It's because like, I've that's been making crazy. memes. But... Bro, you've been going insane. <laughs> You're going insane. That Stranger Things one with Will was stupid. <laughs> I know. It was so stupid. I lived. I mean, it, it stupid in the Mike, best way. But... It was Mike. I don't understand. They have so many seasons and you think I'd know the characters by now, but I don't. I don't. Um, thank y'all so much for joining us on this journey of queer art and what crafting means historically <laughs> not the feet <laughs> y'all can't see but cricket is like wiggling their little feet <laughs> um but yeah I, I think that this has been like a huge i mean all of this is a passion project for the two of us but as two people who are so um intimately related to crafting i think that this has been a really special episode um yeah i identify yeah. as an artist now i do it's too it's taking me so long same but um and now i'm like Oh, literally yeah. everything I do is art. Because yeah, <laughs> even recently, like when people ask me, I'm like, oh, what are you knitting? I'm like, oh, sweater. It's going to take forever, though. <laughs> don't, don't look at it now. It's nothing. What am I? Bitch, you're, you're making a sweater from scratch. That's art. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it is really cool. Yeah. Um, and I'll have yeah. to show the Patreonites my my snake sweater oh, once, I, yes. once I get done with the yoke. Yeah. Um, I'm so close. I have like 10 rows and then it's ready to show y'all. <laughs> I know. But, we'll post some pictures of Ashton's projects. Yes. I was going to bring them and then I realized that only Patreonites would be able to see them. And so I was like, we can post pictures. Yeah. And because I have like five finished objects we can show off. Yeah. But yeah. Lovely. Anyways, thanks for listening, y'all. Yeah. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Have a wonderful, wonderful cold season. Stay warm. Wear a hand, uh, wear a handmade sweater. Yeah. Um. Drink your teas. Drink your coffees. Drink your hot chocolates. Um. Take your D three. Yeah. Take your D three. I had to deliver. I had to force this no. bitch to take some D three. They fully delivered me D three and sunflowers. <laughs> um. So shout out to Cricket. Genuinely one of the best friends in the entire fucking world. Oh um. I literally got home from a late ass shift and was waiting for me were Scandinavian swimmers D3 and some sunflowers <laughs> and a cute little note so um, not only are they my pod partner but they are genuinely one of my best friends in the world Aww. and I am so in love with you and so grateful for you oh my god I love you too I love okay. this thing that we've made I know our little child okay anyways we've been talking for <laughs> bye motherfuckers <laughs> thank you for listening to the first episode of our digital ecology series New episodes will be coming out every two weeks. I wanted to mention that the first link in our description will take you to a document that Ashton and I have been working on with a bunch of educational and action-based resources to help inform about the genocide currently taking place in Palestine, specifically from queer and feminist perspectives. We urge you to engage with and listen to the stories of our queer siblings beyond what we've provided today. If you've liked our show, we'd love it if you could share it with a friend who might also enjoy it. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to follow and rate our show by tapping the three dots on our profile and then the little star icon listed as rate show. It really helps us out. Just as a reminder, if you aren't following Out on Earth Pod on Instagram and TikTok, you're missing out on a ton of awesome visual guides, memes, and jokes to go along with the show. Also, if you'd like to support us on Patreon starting at just $1 a month, you can gain access to video episodes, bonus episodes, and on our second tier, you'll also get early releases and the community Discord, which should be coming out this month. If you have questions or concerns, feel free to email us at outonearthpod at gmail.com or shoot us a DM on Instagram. And be sure to take our survey in the description below to suggest episodes or let us know what we did right. Thanks again for listening. Together we can find joy out on earth.
We pay tribute to the indigenous communities whose ancestral land we are currently recording on long before the establishment of the United States. These include the Apache, Caddo, Tonkawa, and Wichita. We also hold in high regard the tribes with a historical connection to this area, such as the Comanche, Kiowa, Osage, and Quapaw. Before achieving statehood, we acknowledge that the lands surrounding Oklahoma City were originally designated to the Muscogee, Creek, and Seminole Nations. We recognize that this region once served as a hunting ground, a cultural hub, a hub for trade and a migration route for the Apache, Comanche, Kiowa, and Osage nations. Today, the state of Oklahoma is home to 39 federally recognized tribal nations, a consequence of settler colonial policies aimed at assimilating and murdering indigenous peoples who have made Oklahoma their home. Out on Earth is written, produced, and edited by Cricket Kaya and Ashton Attic. Hosted by Acast. Music provided by Halisna. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.